Good evening, everyone. My name is Rebecca Sharp. I'm the Executive Director of Special Education and Student Services, and we're so excited to have all of our parents here with us this evening. We had over 110 parents registered for this session, so we're very excited to present Executive Functioning Skills and the School-Age Student. And as we get started, we're going to do a welcome and a little bit of housekeeping. If you wouldn't mind, please mute yourself. There's going to be opportunity for you to ask questions in the chat, and I'll moderate that for our presenters. But we, I want to remind everyone to keep their questions general for privacy. Um, we don't want to share anyone's name. We also want to um, keep our our questions general, not specific to your your individual student. Um, so please feel free to put your questions in the chat. Our session is being recorded, and the link to the video as well as a PDF copy of the PowerPoint, PowerPoint will also will be. Also but most of all, I want to say thank you to our parents and guardians for joining us this evening, and a huge thank you to our presenters, who are now going to introduce themselves and get us started. Hey, hey, friends. So I am Brittany Allen Shaw. I am the Special Education Administrator at Mary Ellen Henderson Middle School. And my name is Miriam Perrone. I'm a speech language therapist and I work both at Oak Street and then at Meridian High School. Hi, and I'm uh, Mr. Kieran Shakeshaft and I teach social studies at Mary Ellen Henderson Middle School. Hi. Um, all right, so just so we have kind of a working idea of what we're going over today. So we will be kind of generally talking about what is executive functioning. Um, we'll give you some reminders to keep in mind as we dig in a little bit further to the eight domains. Um, we're going to talk about some strategies among um, the different domains, and then we'll have some sample strategies and then some additional takeaways. So just so you know where we're at. All right. So I think that's me. Um, so executive functioning defined, because I think executive functioning is a word that gets thrown out a lot. And like having a solid definition is important because there's a lot of them out there. Right. But um, executive functioning skills are the core set of oh, sorry, we're covering up the answer there. Cognitive skills required for planning, completing and evaluating the completion of tasks. So there's a lot of things that go into executive functioning and we'll go over each of them through the presentation as we go. And as you can see here, right, as mentioned, executive functioning can be broken down into a lot of key areas. So we'll go through them and as well as strategies to help kids as they improve in these skills. So you have like emotional control, you have self-control, self-monitoring, flexible thinking, which is a really big one, working memory, task initiation, planning and time management. And then the big one that I think a lot of people have questions about organization. So as we kind of dig in, I do want to keep kind of forefront of our mind that everyone has a pattern of strengths and weaknesses. So there are several different domains and we all will kind of have great strengths in some and maybe not as many strengths in others. Um, weaknesses in executive functioning are not related to intellectual skill. So they are not kind of um, interconnected. And then executive functioning. Uh oh, he skipped my last one. Wait, he got excited. Um, it does not look the same for everyone, right? And so just like our kids grow at their own pace, their executive functioning skills also develop at their own pace. Um, so just keep that in mind as you are kind of looking at what your kid is doing versus what someone else is, is doing. We all kind of grow in our own ways. Now the next one. And then the keys here from um, you all, me, as a parent, we all kind of walk the same path. Uh, children are not born with executive functioning skills. Um, 
said, um, these skills have to be developed um, and they have to be taught. So what we're going to talk about today is how do we as parents um, kind of foster these executive functions in our students. Um, we are going to talk about what it looks like kind of through our school lens, as well as what you may see at home. Um, and just because we might talk about one thing, you might be like, oh my goodness, my my kid is so far behind. They're not. They are developing again at their own pace. So just keep that um, kind of at the forefront of your mind. And also remember that executive functioning skills are developed all the way until early adulthood. Um, so many of those independent tasks that we think our students should have, they probably won't or shouldn't have until they're probably in their second, third year of college. So not even right when they graduate should these skills be fully developed. So the first area that we'll talk about is emotional control. And so that is the ability to kind of manage our feelings, achieve our goals and complete tasks. This may show up as a negative self-talk or an emotional outburst. Um, we can strengthen this in our kids by having positive um, talks with them. We also can model for them, um, kind of normalizing what our feelings are so they don't feel the need to kind of lash out in them. Um, as well, task, masking, task matching is essential. So we want to make sure that we're always setting our children up for success so we're not asking them to do something that maybe is beyond their abilities um, and therefore kind of giving them that opportunity for the no negative self-talk. We always want to put them in a position to be successful and to foster positive talk. All right. And this one is me, I think, right? Yes. Okay, so self-control is a little bit different than emotion, emotional control, but it's a little similar as well. So it's the ability to stop and think before acting. So this can show up in a variety of ways for kids, but it can definitely show up most common in high levels of impulsivity, right? So if you have a, a son or daughter or a child that can sometimes struggle with doing things without thinking, right, or just immediately blurting out in class is one that's really, really common that I see as a teacher all the time, right? But um, so impulsivity, saying or doing things before fully evaluating the, civil, the situation, right? So sometimes that could be just diving into a homework assignment, right? Without actually reading through the instructions or taking a second, right? Um, also setting limits introduces students to self-control and encourages response inhibition. So definitely setting limits with your kids is really, really important for self-control. Strategies, though, to help your student prepare them for the situations, that will require self-control by reviewing expectations in advance. So really making sure that you're going over the expectations that you have about a task with the kid before they started. So be very clear with them being like, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is how I need you to do it. This is what we're going to, this is what it's going to look like and et cetera. So definitely help them be less impulsive by planning ahead as much as possible. Um, so self-monitoring, this is our ability to kind of view and evaluate ourselves. Um, this may show up as a weakness in your ability to reflect or kind of a distorted self-view. So, you know, a lot of times we're like, did you clean your room? And our kids will be like, of course. And then you go look and it is nowhere near clean. Um, so that ability to kind of see the same thing. Um so they, our kids tend to either evaluate themselves too hard or too lightly. So as parents, we can help them by providing specific praise on the things that we want them to either continue to do and giving um, good measures. So um, if I am going to tell you to clean your room, what does cleaning your room look like? Cleaning your room, um, in order to tell me you're done, there should be nothing on the floor and your bed should be made and your nightstand should be clean, right? So really helping them to um, have something to check against um, and monitor themselves with because this is still very much a developing skill. All righty, so flexible thinking. This week's supposed to be more that shows up. Oh, there we go. Perfect. Sorry. So flexible thinking is the ability to adapt or adjust to unexpected changes. And this is something that a lot of kids can struggle with, right? It's those 
sudden changes or those changes in routines that can get um, a lot of children kind of thrown off, right? Um, how like issues with flexible thinking, they may show up as unexpected responses to revised plans, right? So if you and your children or child has, you know, you were going to go to the mall on Saturday and things happen, right? Life happens. So them responding sort of unexpectedly, maybe extremely emotionally or with either anger or distress, whatever that may be, right? But struggles with flexible thinking are kind of things have changed and dealing with that change is a challenge. Um, thankfully, there's a lot of strategies to sort of help with this as a parent. So you can help your student by or yeah, student, excuse me, by not introducing too much change all at once. So I think a lot of the time when we get into executive functioning, we're like, okay, cool. I saw the presentation. I read the book. We're going to change everything tomorrow, right? We're going to start with a schedule in the morning. We're going to figure out the homework time. We're going to do this, this, and this. And that's wonderful. But that's a lot of change for kids all of a sudden. So definitely sort of introducing things step by step will help with students who struggle with flexible thinking. Reducing the, the complexity of a task as well. Sometimes it's just the overwhelmingness of a new task that's been introduced to a kid. So if you just kind of reduce it, and again, sort of, if you can introduce slowly, that's definitely going to help with flexible thinking. And then having a default strategy, right, if something happens, right, because that will happen. Sometimes you don't have time to plan ahead to naturally slowly introduce a new thing into your, your child's life, right? Maybe you're literally driving somewhere and you get the text that it's closed. Okay, you in that moment can't do anything. So you need a default strategy to sort of help with that. And taking a break is a good one, right? Or identifying a safe person to intervene, right? Or maybe they want to talk to a friend or a sibling, someone that they can sort of feel like, okay, cool, I processed this, I'm reset, we're good. Or sometimes as simple as counting to 10 really helps a lot. Like, hey, we're not going to be able to go to the mall right now. I'm really sorry, but I know you're upset. Let's count to 10 and think about plan B. We can do this. So there we go. That's flexible thinking. Before you go forward, I also want to just tag in here. So a lot of what I hear from parents is really related to homework and kind of some of the homework meltdowns that we have. Um, I want to really normalize that it's okay to kind of take a step back, right? If your student is feeling overwhelmed by a homework assignment, sometimes we, let's go get a snack. Let's go get a cup of water. Let's just walk away for a second because right now it's just overwhelming us. And so sometimes it is a matter of saying, you know what? Let's just start with just this one part and give your students something to be very successful at. Like, let's see if we can just do the first problem. And if they're successful, really praise them on that and try to keep pushing in that. If they can't keep going, that's okay too. Um, it's all right to say, you know what? We're not getting anywhere with this today. So let's just take a pause and walk away because what you don't want is to kind of continue that spiral and then it increases that angst. And then the next time you have a complex task, you they will remember that, right? So you want to set them up so that you can have examples from the past to say, remember last time this happened, we just did the first one and we did great on it. And we, we only finished half, but guess what? Your teacher was okay with that. Sometimes we end up overthinking it and having bigger emotions of what we think might happen. So giving your student these opportunities to see that it, it's actually okay. Next and, and to add to that, I think definitely you know, speaking as a teacher, and I can't speak for high school necessarily, but I'd imagine it's the same place, right? So definitely at middle school and below, uh, definitely communicate with your teachers when that happens. We are super understanding. We do not want your children to be crying during homework time because they can't do the five math problems or whatever we gave them. Please, we don't want that. If you're you know, only able to get that one as you work through some of these executive functioning things, just let us know and we'll be like, okay, absolutely. Like they're more than welcome to come during flex or whenever and we'll help them out for the rest. We are absolutely understanding people. Please, we don't want our students to cry during homework time. Just let us know. <laughs> life to be difficult either. I mean, I know most of us probably remember our mommy schools. Um, I can definitely remember sitting at the table with my mom and doing math problems. And there's a lot of fear still in my heart related to math homework and my mom. Um, Me too. <laughs> that, you know, so I don't want us to continue that cycle. Please just shoot us an email. Um, we used to have our hashtag handle with care. It's still a thing. Just hashtag handle with care. We didn't finish it tonight. We'll try again tomorrow. Um, and we are here to kind of be what? In, in community with you. Oh, no. They're in the dryer. If you could mute them. yourself, that would be great. Thank you. All right. So this takes us on to working memory. Um, and this is one of those things where it's your ability to use information 
held in memory to complete a task. So for adults, that is, oh, okay, I need to go to the store and I need to get milk, bread, butter, cheese, and eggs, right? And then you get to the store and you're like, I need milk and eggs. What are those other three things? So that ability to kind of hold on to information and and be able to use it. Um, For our kids, it shows up in the classroom like, all right, guys, I want you to pull out your paper. I want you to write your name and then go to your cubby and get, you know, your folder. That was a lot of steps. So maybe they got their name on there and they pulled out this paper. And then I don't know what she told me to do after that. Um, The ways that we can help are creating um, consistent routines, using written reminders, and then rehearsal. And when we say rehearsal, that means practicing what things look like. Um, Our kids are at that age where muscle memory is very much a thing. Uh, If you ask our math team, one of the, some of the reasons why we do very like, this is how you set your problem up. It almost turns into muscle memory. And even if the student doesn't necessarily know what to do, they know that I always draw this bar and I bring this one down. And that kind of gets you halfway there. So being consistent in some type of routine is always going to be effective. But please do not make your routine 15 steps. So um, we started a routine here at home and I thought it was fabulous. She, had, My daughter had a little checklist and I was like, look, there were 12 items on it. Um, and she went to me and was like, yeah, but mommy makes me do so many things. I realized that I had made her routine too long and she was like, I can't do all of this. So we had to scale back. So that's what um, both myself, the whole team is saying, really start small and then build upon it. So if you're going to start creating a homework routine, really start with like two things. You're going to get your snack and get your agenda. Once we are successful with getting our snack and getting our agenda, then we can add on a new step. And I know, I know, I know that you're like, my goodness, when are we going to actually have like a full routine? How long is it going to take? It'll be the end of the year. Maybe so. But once you create that routine, that routine will take you so far. I literally am an adult and I can remember that was my routine. I came home, I got a snack. I use the history. I got to watch 30 minutes of afternoon cartoons and then I had to pull out my homework. And I always had to do English first because I didn't really like doing my English homework. And math was last because I love doing math, right? But we started very slowly um, and sure it probably took, I think all of third grade and maybe part of fourth. But by the time I got to middle school, those strategies and steps were already in place for us. And my mom really didn't have to worry about it anymore. So I know there's a little bit of frustration as the 12 step um, initial routine person, but starting slow and then building upon it definitely will take you a whole lot further. All right, task initiation. So this is one that I I feel really good about. This is one that I, I work on in my class with my kids all the time, but task initiation, if you've never heard it before, is pretty much like it sounds right the ability to start and finish tasks without procrastination which i definitely feel like is a lot of middle schoolers big big thing is procrastinating i don't know how many times i have kids that be like oh well it's do not do fr- until friday i don't need to do it now it's like well <laughs> it'll catch up especially if you don't ever initiate the task right then it's definitely going to catch up um so obviously task initiation can have a lot of impact In particular, right, the difficulty just beginning a given task. And I think a lot of parents and teachers are like, oh, well, you know, it's only two questions. It's an exit ticket or whatever it is. It's really easy. Why can't my my student or my kid just start it? And a lot of the time what happens, excuse me, with kids is they're manifesting literally flight, fight or sort of freeze mentality, right? When you give them an assignment, if they're maybe sometimes not very confident in that class or they're not sure what to do, their immediate thing is to avoid. And that's that that flight, right? Like the procrastination being like, okay, well, I know it's due in an hour, but I can, you know, I can be on my phone for 30 minutes and then I'll get on it. Not a big deal. I'm avoiding that task. Fight is you may see very often, right? When you have your kids who are literally just kind of refusing to do it, they're getting really upset about it. Like, like, leave me alone, mom or dad. I'm going to do it. Just leave me alone. And then freeze. I don't see as much, but it does happen, right? Where a student can just like get so overwhelmed that they kind of like don't know what to do. Sometimes there's a little bit of internal distress too, but definitely. So issues of task initiation can manifest in many, many different ways. It absolutely depends on your kid. 
Um, but thankfully, there's a lot of things you can do to help mitigate the task initiation struggles, right? So definitely finding visual cues for task initiation is important. I don't know how many times, like as a teacher, just making eye contact with a kid when I know that they're supposed to be starting something will help, right? So just visual cues, you'd be like, hey, I see you. You said you were going to start it. Let's go. Like, it doesn't have to be like intimidating, right? Just you can be like kind of chill with it, but like, let's go. We got to start it. Come on. And definitely using technology, right? It's awesome that we have all this technology available. And thankfully, there's a lot of different technologies out there, especially for task initiation, right? So um, I, know, I know for a fact there are apps sometimes like you can send literal reminders to your kids as they're working on the computer like, hey, let's get started. Let's do it. I definitely wouldn't use them all without talking to your kid first because that can be really scary when they're working on something. And then all of a sudden, mom or dad pops up in the right hand of their screen and like, are you working? That's yeah. So I talk to them first before you start using that stuff. But they, they are out there and that can be really useful if you and your uh, student are comfortable. But I think, honestly, the biggest thing, and this is what I do almost every day with any independent work in my classes, is breaking apart tasks into manageable manageable pieces. I can't tell you how many times I'll have a kid that I'm, I give an assignment, and I, in my head, think, oh, it's not that bad, right? We've been prepping it. We've done the notes. They know the content, and then nothing. They're not sure what to do because it seems so overwhelming. There's so much to do in this task, and they kind of shut down or procrastinate, right, that flight. So breaking it apart. And... Um, a lot of teachers will do that naturally, right? At least in the middle school, a lot of these big projects are broken down into pieces for that very reason. So it's not overwhelming. If you get an assignment or your student has one that isn't broken down, though, you can break it down with them, right? You can be like, okay. And this also always helps if you do it like, right, not the night before, because if you're doing it the night before, it might be hard to set like, okay, we're going to do this part today this next part tomorrow, then we're going to do this part on Wednesday, right? That is a really great way to do it. It's less overwhelming. You've got clear set goals. It won't really work if you're doing it the night before, but we're going to hope we're not in that situation. Um, but if you are, one thing that I also do with my students that helps is using a little kitchen timer. So you'll be like, hey, I need you to just work, right? It's due tomorrow. We're just going to have to get words on paper at this point and hope for the best. But you're going to work for 15 minutes. Here's the timer so you can visualize it. After 15 minutes, we're going to take a 10-minute break or however long you set with your with your student. And then we'll be like, okay, after that 10-minute break, we're going to do another 15. Then we're going to take a, another break and then another 15. So breaking it up, like even if it is due right the night before, worst case scenario, there are still things you can do to prevent a meltdown situation. So breaking it up with a kitchen timer sounds kind of odd, but I do it in the classroom and it works really, really well. Oh, you're muted, Ms. Alshaw. Thank you. In that same vein, uh, make sure that your timer kind of approach is appropriate to your student. So um, I can't remember where I read it, but it's the rule that I, I kind of work by is your attention span is kind of your age plus two. So if you have an elementary student that is, you know, eight, a 15 minute timer actually is kind of long for them. Maybe you need to start with a 10 minute timer. Um, our middle schoolers, 15 minutes is a bit of a stretch for them. Be honest. As an adult, 20, 25 minutes and I need to go and get uh, a, a snack or something to move myself about. Um, so just really making sure that you're setting your kid up for success. Um, and I think, you know, as, as parents, um, you know, I've been in education for too long. I don't want to age myself. And um, when I became a parent, I too had these very unrealistic expectations for my daughter. And I was like, why is she not responding properly? Like, I am a teacher. I'm an expert at this. And I'm like, oh, because you're doing it all wrong. You cannot set a 15 minute timer for your second grader. That is a little too long for her to sit and sustain attention. When we dropped that timer down to five minutes, she was so successful, right? Um, and keep your word, please, because I get that kind of feedback from my daughter often. You said if I do this, this one, then I could take a break. But then she's successful. And I'm like, oh, let's see if we can do more. Kind of keep your compromises or else they won't trust you in the future. So if you set a timer and you guys agree we're going to work for six minutes and then you're going to get a snack, then at six minutes, give them that snack, right? So mom and dad, please do not make unrealistic promises either. Don't tell them you're going to take them to Disney World if they finish their project, knowing that we're not going to Disney World. Say something that is reasonable that you can honor 
and meet them in the middle. And of course, like I said, always you want to kind of circle back to successes. So in the future, they have those past experiences. Remember the last time we used our timer system and we got it all done. So that way they can keep remembering. Mm. All right, so planning and time management. So <laughs> nice little segue, same things here. So it's the ability to set goals and meet them. So um, the impact that we typically see is a struggle with deadlines and meeting our goals. Again, the, the, the strategies here are, are you're going to see this kind of running pattern theme using routines, calendars and schedules, um, discussing your expectations and creating a time based plan for completion of work. Right. And also using things that what are the contingencies? So in our household, we use this wonderful app called Breely. I kind of live and breathe by it. I literally got this app for my daughter and it is my bread and butter. What I love most about the app is that when I go over the time, it adjusts, right? Because you didn't meet that mark. So now we have to kind of have this snowball effect and kind of talking my daughter through like, here's what our plan is. But if we don't meet that, then what are we going to do? Because I think sometimes our students really get, um, it's in the slide at the end. Um, I will definitely put it in the chat too. Um, and so helping our kids understand it's okay. Like if you didn't meet that mark, that's fine. But how are we going to adjust and recover from that? Um, making sure we don't use shame and we don't kind of dwell on the part that we didn't accomplish. We want to really be in that growth mindset of how do we still set ourselves up for success in spite of this setback. So kind of going back to that flexible thinking part. Yes, we had planned to be done, but we're not. So now what are we going to do? Okay, maybe we might have to add in another, you know, 15 minute session after dinner. That wasn't our initial plan, but we'll get it done. Right. But wanting to keep encouraging them forward. All right. And that's me again for, I think, probably my favorite one. And this is the one that I think when everybody when you hear executive function, you're like, oh, that's organization. And so far, I hope you've learned that it's more than organization, right? But organization is definitely a really, really big one, right? And to give it a simple definition, it's just that ability to develop and use systems to keep track of materials and information. I think the materials and information piece is really important because sometimes organization is keeping track of your literal school items, right? Like making sure your binders are all organized and your locker is organized or your room is organized or your closet or whatever it is, right? And sometimes it's information as in, do you know when you have a cheer practice and how long it lasts? Do you remember that you have tutoring on Thursday at seven o'clock at Panera? I don't know if they do tutoring there, but like it could be information and material. So organization is not just the physical part. It's also the mental part too. And it's really, really important. Um, and obviously the immediate impact you see of students who are growing in their organizational abilities are just managing the materials and their space and also the information, right? Are they missing? Um, are they forgetting that they're supposed to be having tutoring sessions or cheer practice or that they promised that they would go and see grandmas on Saturday, whatever, right? So it's not just are they keeping their room clean or their closet clean or their gaming area clean or the lockers for school wise, right? It's also information. The biggest tip though is to start small. I think especially as a middle school teacher, um, kids come in the sixth grade, sometimes seventh grade, and they're like, okay, my kids in middle school now, they 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 should be organized. And in a way, I mean, yes, does it like help to be organized? Kind of. Should we expect them to be 100% ready to go and know how to be organized by middle school? Absolutely not. <laughs> it's something that is going to take a lot of time. It's something that you require growth. And it's not for some kids, you have to actively work at it too. But starting small is the way to go. You don't want to bite off more that you can chew of organization because that will overwhelm kids a lot of the time. And then they're not going to follow through with it. So all these organization plans are wonderful, but if they're not small and reasonable, they're not going to work. So you need to make sure that it's being reasonable and small as you start. So it does work when you do use an organization system. Speaking of organization systems, there's a lot of them out there. Um, and while I definitely think that all of us have our own organization systems, right? For me personally, I use a mix of post-it notes and Google, 
Google Calendar, and that works most of the time. Um, but I know some people have whole apps that they use, agendas. They, they have all sorts of things that they like. Everybody's different, and I think that your children are no different, right? So just because you're a Post-it parent does not mean that your kid is a Post-it kid, right? They may prefer an agenda. I know a lot of kids in particular are always on their phones, right? So having an organizational system on their phone could be for them. And it will take some trial and error and some experimentation, right? Like you might have kids that are like, oh, no, I want the phone, 100%. Are you kidding me? That's the way I want to organize. And then they practice and they're like, oh, wait, no, this is not this is not what I need. This is not working, right? So definitely experimenting and having discussions and giving some choice over that and flexibility with it too. Like try things out. If it doesn't work, okay, we're going to try a different method, right? Trial and error. And I think middle school in particular is a perfect time to do that because it's kind of prepping for high school, the teachers, but yeah, I'll speak for all the teachers in the middle school. Right? We're understanding. We know that the kids are growing in organization. So we know that they're going to be experimenting with different things. And sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. And that's fine. Um, definitely daily supervision though is important. I've had a lot of conversations where like, cool, we downloaded the app, we showed them how to use it and they're off. No. Not always the case though. <laughs> Sometimes and oftentimes you need to have at least daily supervision, at least to start, maybe like maybe after a few weeks and they're getting it down, then you can hang back a little bit, give them a little bit of ownership and some freedom, but definitely to start, you need supervision. I don't know many kids I haven't met. Actually, no, I've met a few kids here or there, but I haven't met many that are like, oh, yeah, I love organizing. I love making post-its and love filling out my agenda. It's my favorite thing. I, there are a few kids like that, but it's not super common. So definitely having a little bit of daily supervision. And it doesn't have to be overbearing. It can be very simple. Like, hey, I know we decided that we were going to write down your homework and your agenda. Do you have it ready? And they'd be like, okay, cool, you do. Nice job. And then next day you try again and you do that for a few weeks. And then after it seems like they've got it, then you start maybe every other day, right? Giving them a little bit of ownership, but at least daily, starting daily is really helpful. Um, checklists are really, really good too. And that helps a lot for school. Um, every class does need, especially in middle school, I can't speak for elementary school, but I'm sure it's the same in high school that every class has slightly different things that they need. Some teachers are binder teachers. I'm a binder teacher. Some teachers are, no, everything's online. I don't, you don't need to bring anything, right? And that can be really overwhelming. And it can be hard, especially with kids who struggle with organization and executive functioning to know, okay, I'm going to math. What do I need for math? So making checklists with them and communicating with their teacher as you do this, right? And be like, hey, I'm making checklists with my kid. Could, like, could you let me know what they need for your class? Oftentimes it's in the syllabus, but definitely reach out. So making those checklists, right? And I've had kids in the past that will have like a little not a binder, but like a little stapled sheet that'll have their checklist for every class. And before they go, they go to the locker. They're like, okay, Lang and Lit, I need a folder, a binder, and a pencil. Okay, I've got this. Let's go. And then they'll go back to their locker next period for math and be like, okay, I need my math binder, my calculator, my ruler, whatever, right? So definitely having checklists helps a lot. And that could be for your locker, for your homework as well, right? And that's kind of most commonly in like an agenda, right? Where you're tracking what you have and when it's due, but you could also do checklists for other things at home, right? If someone needs to organize their room, make sure it's tidy and everything like that. You can make them a checklist. Like this is what an organized room looks like. Your socks are in the drawer. Your Xbox controllers are put away nicely. You've made the bed. There's no, um, you know, plate of old food on the floor, whatever, <laughs> right? So definitely making a checklist on what they specifically need to have or what they need to do to be organized is really, really helpful. Both school and at home. Um, and but yeah, that's organization. So in that same vein, um, I also want to kind of really highlight that as our kids get older, there is this, I don't know, this misconception that like, you know, my kids in middle school, I get to kind of lean out. They got this. Actually, no, that's really when we kind of got to lean in. Um, I, I almost call it the terrible teens. So it's very much like the terrible twos. So if you guys think back, remember when they were two and they were like, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. And you were like, no, you can't, no, you can't, no, you can't. That's exactly what they're like now. In middle school and high school, they're like, I can do it, I can do it. No, they can't. They do still need you. They need you to ask the questions. They need you to be that kind of safeguard for them. They need you to say, hey, where's your agenda? Did you write anything in it? Have, have you checked the agenda? Have, have you checked Schoology? There are all these systems in place, but they still need us to be there to remind them of it and to kind of safeguard them with it. 
I think what is an interesting tidbit that we kind of came across as we were kind of preparing for this presentation is it is not until kids are between 13 and 18 that they should be able to use a system for organizing schoolwork and activities. 13 to 18. So think about how old your friends are. And that's a quite a bit of a range because remember that we all develop at our own. So some kids, it might take them all the way till they're 18 before they're able to manage and navigate an organizing system on their own. And so I don't want you to think that like, oh my goodness, what is happening here? Because the late bloomer in the organizing skill, they will get there, but they're not there yet. And until they get there, the best thing that you can do for you for really you, for your own personal sanity, is to just go ahead and lean in and accept that I'm going to have to still help you make your checklist. I'm going to have to still ask you about your organizing system and work with you on it. And the sooner that we do that, the easier that kind of our life is because we always want to have very realistic expectations of what our students can and cannot do. If they don't have these organizing skills yet, kind of telling them to become more organized, it's not going to work. It, it, it's not that kind of skill. It does have to be honed and that muscle has to be built. Um, and some kids, you know, I still can't run the mile yet. Um, I just never will. Um, and much like organizing, I probably will never be able to organize really independently. I have people come and help me still. And I am a full functioning adult. So I don't want, I really want to normalize Um some of how our, our students' behaviors um, and having those realistic expectations at home. And that you're not the only one. Trust me, your kid is not the only kid who still leaves their towel on the floor, even though you tell them every single day to pick their towel up off the floor. I promise you're not the only one. All right, let's keep going. So then you should see some themes. We did go over a lot of information. So we definitely wanted to just highlight if you kind of forget everything else, here are the big, big takeaways. Make sure you're using very explicit language with your student. You're being very clear on what the expectation is. Generalities like, please clean the kitchen. Mm, looks clean to me. So what does a clean kitchen look like? What does a clean room? What does folded laundry put away look like? Um, provide clear examples to your student. Um, I think it was Miss Sharp who actually told me I had to clean my daughter's room and take a picture so that she had a very real working example of what a clean room looked like. And I was like, all right, I guess I'm gonna have to clean Ryan's room. Um, break steps down into manageable, manageable parts. So really helping your kid to chunk those activities or those tasks into reasonable things. First thing you need to do is take all the clothes out of the dryer. That's an easy one. Check that off. And the more things that you kind of give them to be like, yes, I did that. Give them those wins, even if it's take the clothes out of the dryer. Um, provide visuals. So there are so many different visual things you can use. We actually have a little check thing where the checks slide back and forth. We have apps. Um, Alexa, if you guys have an Alexa, Alexa is the MVP in my house. She thinks I'm talking to her right now. She provides all of our reminders, all of the timers, all of those kind of set up things. And then just practice. It's muscle memory. Your student has to practice doing it in order to really get the skill down. And then next up we have, I think we have Ms. Perone is next to give us some concrete kind of working examples and strategies of how you can put these things in motion. Exactly. So um, I'm going to talk a little bit about goal, why, plan, do, check. And this is a, uh, a tool to help students with setting goals, creating plans, and then reflecting on their progress. And the Pink Panther screenshot um, is, is there because I oftentimes show students this um, Pink Panther video, Think Before You Pink in which the Pink Panther is trying to cross the street and has to create multiple plans before he's successful. And so the idea is that if you're not successful, it's not a personal failure. You simply need a plan B, plan C, plan D. It made me so happy the other day when a student said to me, because I needed to reschedule the session, it's okay, we'll just make a plan B. <laughs> yes, <laughs> rather than for the student to kind of get stuck 
um, and, and be frustrated about the change. So this is a framework that can be used for any kind of goal. It could be something social, like inviting a peer to get food at Lazy Mike's, math homework, or getting a first job. I um, previously used it with a student who had a lot of dysregulation, who had shared that they oftentimes became very frustrated after getting out of the shower. And this is kind of one of those, like when um, when we were talking earlier about sort of breaking things down for students and for our children and teens, I asked I asked the student, well, I like why were you frustrated? Because I wasn't sure I fully understood. And then the student described, well, because I was really really wet after getting out of the shower, and so that led me to ask some more questions. Well. Do you eventually I said, do you know how to dry off when you get out of the shower? And the student answered, no, I really don't. Okay, so now <laughs> we have a goal. We're going to um, learn how to dry off after the shower. We have a why because frequently you're really frustrated and you shower almost every day. And so this is a good thing to work on. And then our plan A, which was to like really concretely talk about how the student was doing it how the student might make some adjustments. And after we kind of evolved to a plan C after uh, several sessions, and then the student was able to reflect, I think I have it now, I've got it. And so this is a, this isn't an academic application, but it's a, it's a different way of sort of thinking how we can use this. Um, and then the next slide has a completed goal Y plan do check. And it's helpful to remember this, this is from um, Unstuck and On Target, a curriculum that was developed out of Ivy Mount. Um, but they really stress that's an important always to use the, the student or child or teens why. So the why um, of driving to school for the teen is to get donuts with friends. And, um, you know, that's probably very different from the parents why, um, you know, the parent probably cares less about the teen getting donuts before school but more because it makes the morning routine simpler. Um, but when I'm working with students and using this, I always um, use the students why, because that's what's most meaningful for them. Um, sometimes I'll talk about what my why is, but I don't expect that they would have that same, um, that they would have that same why. Some of the older ones, maybe it's getting a little bit closer, but oftentimes it's different and that's okay. All right. Um, yeah, and Rebecca just put in the in the um, chat the link for Unstuck and On Target, which is a really, really rich curriculum, all kinds of, um, there's a, also a, a parent um, training, online training that's available through Unstuck and On Target. Um, okay, so um, I'm not going to talk too much about this because I know Brittany and Karen already covered a lot of this, but just it is just so helpful to kind of model um, self-talk for planning. And, you know, say your child has like a writing assignment for a lot of children and teens that I work with, writing is like, is very, very hard and frustrating. And so the minute that there's a writing assignment, kind of the negative self-talk kicks in. I can't do this. I hate it. I suck at writing. Um, I'm never going to finish. It's going to take forever. And so we want to really teach them to replace this with like, I'm going to finish it and then I'm going to take a break and play among us. Um, but if I really get stuck on it, I'm going to ask my cousin who's going to be doing homework this afternoon to like scribe for me. So sort of um, trying to interrupt that cycle of negative self-talk with giving them some different language around that. Um, this next um, tool um, is called Get Ready, Do Done, and it's another um, tool for planning and organizing. And what I find really interesting and kind of helpful about this is it actually asks you to plan backwards. So you always start with the done, like what is it going to look like when I'm done? And similar to Goal Y, Plan, Do, Check, um, this can be used with like really any kind of activity. It doesn't have, it could be something academic, it could be a chore at home, could be something social. But you start here with the done. What is it gonna look like when I'm done? Then you think about what are the steps that I need to do? Then material, what materials do I need? Then you get the materials, then you get started, and then you complete the task and reflect. 
Um, and this is something that be, can be created by like a teacher in advance. It could be co-created between a teacher and a student. Um, like a student could be given a photograph of the done and then sort for the do and like glue the steps in order. Um, or it could just be created by the student. And it's really, really helpful um, for students to visualize the process. A lot of students that have um, EF weaknesses really have difficulty with sort of picturing. So, you know, I had a number of years ago, I was working with a student who, again, similarly to what I described before, had difficulties with writing. And the student was um, so frustrated about um, this writing assignment and so stuck and really starting to kind of um, be more in the freeze mode. <laughs> and um, it, we started with the done because really the student could not picture what the word count, there was a certain number of words that had to be. And when I asked the student, well, do you know how many pages that was? That is the student had no idea. So for the student, this was like this assignment, you know, was very, was very different. Once we started really picturing what it's going to look like when it's done um, and then kind of moved from there. And so, again, this can be used with a younger child. It could be used with an older child. It's really, and, and for really any kind of activity, it's a very sort of flexible system. Um, and so here I have some examples. This is one from a, um, a former coworker who used this with his um, elementary aged daughter about cleaning, about cleaning her room. Um, and again, like as others were saying, like there wasn't really the, the, his daughter didn't have a clear picture of what it was supposed to look like when she was done. So once she had that picture, um, it was actually pretty simple for her to, to complete, um, I remember this. So this get ready to done is from, um, uh, someone named Sarah Ward and, I um I went to her training years ago, and I remember her talking about a um, client that she had worked with who was extremely anxious about going away to summer camp, and um, parent had already uh, paid for the summer camp, and was really hoping that the student or that their child was going to make it there. And what was most helpful for the student was to kind of start picturing like what is it going to really look like when I'm done when I'm there because the student didn't really have a picture of like, what is it gonna look like where I'm gonna be sleeping? What is it gonna look like um, as far as what I'm gonna be doing during the day? Like once that student had like a client had a clear picture in her mind that they were gonna be sleeping in a bunk bed, they were gonna be walking over to the dining hall, um, doing all those things, then actually the, the, the client ended up going and it really wasn't that much, it wasn't that much time to help that student shift. It was like a couple sessions, but that visualization, um, really made all the difference. And then this next, um, slide is just a, an example of one that could be used during like an OT session, um, making like a, a sensory bottle, um, and then this last one is of um, something I did a couple of years ago for the Sea Creature Explorer. This is a fifth grade project. And so if you look at it, it, it it's actually this took me a long time to do. It was actually very complicated to figure out how to get it all on one page. <laughs> but um, the done was that there were three different parts. And so as you can see, there's like a picture of each of those parts. So the student can kind of think about, okay, I need a model, I need a five page written report, and I need a three to five minute um, oral presentation. And then next to, and for the do, it has all of the kind of the steps and then links. And then the, the materials, you'll kind of notice that one of the materials is actually being open-minded and being a communicator. <laughs> um, so thinking about what you need can not only be sort of like the physical um, elements, but also sort of what mindset do you need to be able to get through it, especially if it's something more challenging. Um, so I think that's it. Oh, one other, I'm going to go ahead and skip to, skip to slide 27. Um, the last thing that I wanted to talk to about today is actually kind of what's most important to me right now, um, as far as thinking about EF, and that is really teaching our students to be good self-advocates. And this is a, um, also from the Unstuck and Untarget curriculum. This is from a high school um, edition of it. 
But um, really the importance of teaching our students to ask for what it is they need as learners, um, good for all students, not just students who have any EF weaknesses in particular, um, but this is kind of a formula for helping them with that. So thinking about like what my goal is and then what I'm struggling with and then asking for what you need help with and having a plan B if you need to. Um, and then that really equals self-advocacy because, you know, ultimately we want what we want for our, I speak as a parent and a professional, but what we want for our um our, our children, our students, our teens, our young adults is for to be able to ask for the things that they need as learners, um, both at school, at home, when they're on the soccer field, when they're at their first job. Um, so uh, this visual, I think, is, a, is, really, is really, really helpful for doing that. Um, and I think, I think that's, that's it for my end. I don't know if there's, um, if people have questions, um, for any of us or that are in the chat or otherwise. Miriam, there was a great question in there. Um, how can, um, how are the tools being implemented? I know you're, you um, support Oak Street as well. And really in any um, school where homework might be limited, especially mm -hmm. with younger kids when there's not as much homework assigned, Sure. Like, so how could you use like some of these tools with a younger child? And then if there's not a lot of homework assigned, how can okay. you establish some kind of system for helping your student to develop some of these skills when there might not be a lot of homework coming home? Hope I'm characterizing that. I mean, like I'm sure others have answers too, but I would say like using, I mean, there's all the great, strategies that we've kind of been talking about, but using visuals, I think is so, so helpful. And I, I'm like a big proponent of like this go by plan, do check and get ready, do done. And honestly, like you can use it when I introduce it to students, I'm, I always use it in like fun ways. So, you know, if it's something like that you're doing at home, like for a young, for a younger child, it could be some kind of like craft project. Like you can think about what's it going to look like when it's done and draw a picture of it. And then what are we going to do and draw a couple pictures of how you're going to do it. Um, so I, I just think like you can use sort of some of these use some of these tools like using visual information to talk about goal setting and planning. And um, it, regardless, it doesn't have to be an academic task. And I do think it has a lot of utility. Like I, I was talking, my daughter, I have a 16 year old daughter and she's going to be doing a lot of fundraising in the next cup in the coming weeks for our charity. And like, so we were talking about like, well, what's your goal and what's your plan going to be? And what's your, you know, it, we're going to have to make multiple plans because, <laughs> because it's going to be challenging to raise all of the money. So I really think it has an application like beyond like sort of the academic side. Oh, you're muted, Brittany. Thank you. That's what I had put in the chat. I know a lot of us tend to kind of think about schoolwork as our go-to um, but really anything. Um, I know a prime example, uh, my daughter refused to get her, pick her costume. And I was like, okay, right. The, the time is going to run out. And so she comes, she's like, mommy, it's okay. I'm going to take one of my old costumes and I'm going to make a new one. And I was like, oh, right. My daughter loves to just jump in. And I'm like, wait, whoa, friend, we need to have a plan. We need to kind of think about what do you want your end costume to look like? What are the supplies that you're going to need in order to kind of recreate this new costume? Where are you thinking that you want it to be at? Because once we start cutting, we can't uncut anymore. Um, you can also apply these to simple tasks. Um, if you guys have a pet, if mine is next to me, right? How do we create routines and systems to keep the pet safe and sound and fed and watered? Um I went and grabbed this thing. So this is our to-do list. Uh, this is a non-tech one, right? So I know some parents are like, everything is tech. I don't want any technology. Um, and these just kind of slide. It got wet, so you can't really see. But this is um, our morning routine. Um, obviously, I don't have 12 items anymore. And um, it has all the things that she needs to do in the morning. And she has to kind of slide it across. 
this helps her visualize what she needs to be doing. Um, and much to my disappointment, I cannot just give, I cannot just give her this and be like, "Good luck, friend." I still have to check on her. I still have to ask probably every six minutes. Hey, what are you doing? What item are you on? How many items do you have left in order to ensure that we finish our um, all of our checklists in time to be able to leave the house on time? Uh, this has saved us a lot of arguments, right? Because I'm not constantly nagging her. She knows what it is that she needs to do. Um, but I am still checking on her to make sure that she didn't get sidetracked because this little guy um, is often a distractor for her. Um, so there are lots of different things that you can still do at home if you guys aren't getting homework to develop those executive functioning skills that will translate. And the good part about it is when you um, hone those executive functioning skills on the fun things, that when it's time to do the not as fun things, you still have those examples. Do you remember when you wanted to make your own costume and we came up with a plan and we came up with all of our tools? Let's do the same thing on this big school project. What is going to be our plan? What are all the things that we're going to need, right? So you have those wins that you can um, come back to. She's, my daughter's eight. Uh, she, no, excuse me, she's nine. Um, we're in fourth grade. Um, and so we've all, you know, of course, tried a lot of different things. And like Mr. Shake Chef said earlier, um, middle school, elementary school, those are the trial and error phases, right? So try some things out. What did you like about it? What did you not like about it? As much as I love the Breely app and I use it personally, my daughter did not like it. She found that the kind of countdown part was anxiety inducing for her. So she doesn't use the app anymore. She likes this one that doesn't buzz and tingle at her. I like the app because I need it to buzz and tingle at me. It needs to be like, hey, you only have a few seconds left to finish this to keep me on task. Um, she didn't like when I would give her five things to do at one time, um, but she does like a list and she does like to have control over the order that she does things in, right? So as you guys are kind of going through, see what works. What did your kid like about something? What did they not like about it? And take that feedback and just apply it into how we move forward to the next attempt um, or the next iteration of our organization system um, to develop these skills. So um, our key, my, I have things up that are blocking my screen. Okay, major takeaways for all students. Remember, um, some students require success through extrinsic motivation. So I've done a lot of kind of research about intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation. Ultimately, you do want your student to be intrinsically motivated because one day you will not be there to extrinsically motivate them. But we all have to start somewhere. So if you are starting with, you know, the snack model, then start with the snack model. Ultimately, you got to grow it at some point, but you have to start. And again, you want to have your kid be successful. You want to have those wins so that you have those things to refer back to when things get tough, right? Just like us as adults, when I am trying a new fitness routine, right? Like, ah, never going to be able to lift this much. But then I remind myself that I also thought I couldn't lift, you know, five pounds less. And here I am. I started small and I kept going. Um, a plan for homework time is useful. Um, practice, 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 practice. And again, take the feedback from your kid. When your kid is like, mom, oh, this is too long. Listen to them. Okay, I hear you saying it's too long. What if we drop our timer down just a little bit? What if we try this way instead? And, you know, in our true IB division, be reflective. What worked? What didn't work? What did you like? What did you not like? How do we try again? And then checklists. Checklists. Checklists are super helpful. It gives them something to visualize. So when we're saying visual things, I do not want you to think that you need to go out and have, you know, a poster child. Just a simple post-it note checklist and boxes. You cross it off. See what they like to do. My daughter likes pens. So we bought nice, fancy, colorful, beautiful pens for her checklist. Use your special pens for the checklist, whatever it takes. 
And then I think our last slide, maybe. Um, if I could just add one thing. Um, for the uh, planning on homework, and this is something that I've kind of come across recently this year, is I'll have a lot of my middle school students that will be like, well, okay, so I have a 20, 30-minute homework time that I do every day. As soon as I get home, I'm supposed to do homework for 30 minutes. And then they'll say, but some days I don't have homework. And I feel like that's a really common thing. And I know that parent mentioned earlier at Oak Street that maybe like, the, you know, the younger you are, the less homework you have. And what I sometimes tell my students is to keep in that habit of having a set, you know, 30 minutes a day at from four to four thirty that they do homework is I can definitely speak for the middle school. There are always, always study and practice stuff that you can do in those 30 minutes just to keep that routine going. Right. So just so your students, as they're growing in their executive functioning, getting their routine, understanding that, hey, from four to four thirty, I'm doing homework or some school related things. So definitely incorporating if they don't have homework and some days they won't. Some sort of academic thing can sometimes help that stay in their head a little bit so they know, OK, I may not have homework, but I know that I'm going to have a quiz in civics next week. So I'm going to do 20 minutes of look it or I know that um, I have a math summative coming up in two weeks. I feel good about it, but I don't have homework, so I'm going to do IXL for 15 minutes, right? So just having something that they're doing for that block, I think, helps because you don't want a kid that's like, okay, well, I had homework Monday. I'm going to do my homework time. And then Tuesday, nothing. They don't do it. Wednesday, no homework again. They don't do it. Thursday, they only had like one thing. It took 10 minutes, so they didn't even have the full 30 and then before you know it, the organizational system is not organized anymore. It's just kind of like, oh, I do homework whenever I have it. And that for some kids sometimes can be enough. But for a lot of kids, that routine is really, really helpful. And I guarantee you, especially if you have a middle school kid or, or uh, older, there are practice things that they can be filling that 30 minute time slot with. I 100 percent guarantee for sixth grade and beyond. I can't speak for the elementary school, but I'd imagine there's probably stuff similar. Right. But definitely having them do something and sticking to the routine is really, really helpful. But. That was all I had. I had, so I'll go to the next slide. But I think there's a question. Um, do most okay in middle school? Do most teachers allow kids to have some time to do homework during class? I wonder how to get a sixth grader to make better use of their time in class. My eighth grader seems to get it. Okay, so that varies. I think year by year, <laughs> a little bit. I know that this year um, we have for the middle school Thursdays our academic advising day, um, and I believe Miss Allen, so I'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I think all students will have some sort of an academic, well, not all students, but many, many students, the large majority will have that Thursday for work time. Now, is that enough for all students to get their homework done? Depends on the student, but I would say probably not. If I'm being honest, I would be quite surprised if any student was able to do an entire week's worth of homework in one hour, especially in a class that may have their friends because they're st staying with their pack for mm -hmm. academic advising. So I know from my kids and my academic advising, they do do work. They're certainly not getting the whole week's worth done in that one hour block. So I definitely think it's it, unlikely. Um, and some teachers do allow, like I as a civics teacher have built in time a lot of the time. So there isn't a lot of homework that they should be taking home. However, what I do tell parents is that they can certainly study for quizzes and practice those skills. And I know for math, that's a huge thing. They may be able to finish their math assignment during class or during academic advising. And that's great but they can definitely still practice at home. So filling in that slot with something will help them keep that routine in their head. And then they're not going to fight with you as much the longer you do it. If you do it for several weeks, they know four o'clock to four 30, I am doing something academic. I might not love it, but I know that I'm doing it that time slot, even if it's doesn't matter if it's homework or I excel. So I don't know if that an quite answers that question, but that's how I would answer as a middle school teacher. <laughs> Um, I think what it, it really think think about our philosophy of homework. So here in Falls Church, we are an IB division um, and we do use formatives and summatives. So formatives really are that practice. Um, and oftentimes that practice is done in class with the teacher's support. Um, when you send things home independently, sometimes the students just don't have the skill set necessary to be able to do that independently. So thinking executive functioning skills and age appropriateness. Um, and so oftentimes what you will see come home is either, um, a summative or, or they're finishing. So they always typically give students time to start work in school. And then depending on how they manage their classroom time, they may be able to finish it, or they may have stuff to take home. 
Um, and then in case the English team watches this, I don't want them to like murder us. <laughs> They should be reading every day for 20 minutes, 15 minutes. Oh, gosh, 20 or 15. But every day, five days a week, that's what the English team says. So if your kid says they have no homework, they have to read. I promise they have to read. They have to read. And also do not die on the hill of what they read. Reading is reading. So if they want to read graphic novels, let them read graphic novels. Don't don't make reading not fun by forcing them to read something that they hate. So. Anymore. I think that's our last slide. We kept y'all a little bit late. Thank you guys for hanging with us. Uh, we really, really appreciate. Um, so then real quick, I know another parent asks, like, what if we suspect there's a concern? So if you have concerns, start with your classroom teacher. Oftentimes your teacher can help you kind of see, is this atypical or is your kid, you know, right in with the pack? Everybody's about the same place while also still remembering all of our executive functioning skills do develop at their own pace but they can help you kind of see if your kid is um, really kind of maybe an outlier um, and address it. If they have an IEP or a 504, um, please contact your case manager. And then if you want more, you can start with the school counselor or the school psychologist. All of um, Fulcher City Schools are blessed. We all have our own uh, school psychologist. Uh, shout out to Peggy Lloyd at Henderson. Um, but they're all very lovely. I mean, obviously, I am biased. She's my favorite. And then here, if you are looking for some additional information, the book Smart But Scattered is a wonderful, wonderful book. Um, this Ms. Uh, Ms. Sharper is going to send you guys this slideshow. This link for the executive, executive functioning skill development by age is a wonderful resource that does kind of kind of set that tone for where your kids should be. Um, and it does help you to develop those realistic expectations. And then people ask about the Breely app. Um, this link right here is to their website. Start the scattered. All righty. Is that the last slide? Yes. Thank you again. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And Ms. Sharp will send out the video so you can see all of our shiny faces and the PDF of these slides. Thank you to our my co-host, Mr. Shakeshav and Ms. Perone. Thank you, Ms. Sharp, for setting this up um, and allowing us to share this wonderful information with everyone. You guys have a wonderful night. Bye, everybody. Bye.